Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Knock that fire down, 19. Copy, Captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19. All new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. This is the Roy Green Show podcast. So, do you remember the first time you voted? Do you remember the first time you marked an X or a tick mark beside someone's name on a ballot? I remember the first time I voted. It was the first, I know, I know, when dinosaurs were roaming the earth. But anyway, it was the time that Trudeau was running for prime minister. He was the liberal leader, and it was either Trudeau I can't even remember who the concert might have been Stanfield. Anyway, we had a choice of Trudeau and whoever else was on the ballot. And I was, I was 19 years of age, and I could vote. I was 19, yeah? Was it? I don't remember. I was old enough. I was at the qualifying age, and I voted for the rock star because that's what Pierre Trudeau was to us. We were kids. He was came around with the Beatles. So he was a rock star. I had no idea what politics was about, but I marked down Pierre Trudeau. And <laughs> I've regretted it ever since, anyhow. Joining us from the United States is Maddie. She's 19 years of age. She's a college student. She's going to be voting for the very first time on November the 8th. And her mom, Stacy, is with us as well. We're not going to tell you where they are, except in the United States. Hi, Maddie. Hi. Thank you for doing this. Of course. I really appreciate it. Boy, uh, the first time you vote. Mom, Stacy, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Great to have you with us. Thanks. So has mom influenced Maddie? No, I would say I'm all looking at this election and my own eyes and everything. Good. So so let me ask you, uh, have you decided who you're going to vote for? Um... I have not, actually. I'm kind of just looking more into the platforms, like the closer we get into towards the election day and voting and all that, but I have not decided exactly yet. So is it the issues and the platforms that matter more to you than Clinton or Trump? Yeah, definitely. Um, I would say uh, what they stand for is definitely way more important than the actual like person itself. That's interesting because it has become such a personality-driven election over the last several months. So looking at the issues, congratulations to you for doing that because I think a lot of times people get lost in looking at the personality who's more photogenic, who appears better on television. So that's who we're going to vote for. Which of the issues is of greatest significance to you, Maddie? Um, I would say like the greatest significance is obviously going to be like the economy and jobs or um, health care as well, just because health care is really expensive right now. Um, like I went to the hospital for pneumonia and it was $6,000 out of my parents' pocket with insurance, you know? Yeah. If I sat down with you and a group of your, uh, your, your classmates and, and I asked them that question, the last couple of questions, would they answer the same way, do you think, that, uh, that they're more interested in the issues than the, than the personalities involved or the people that directly involved in the, and the main issue to them is the economy? 
to be completely honest, I feel like a lot of like people my age would just look at the people themselves and not like the exact issue. But if there was an issue to focus on, like I am in college, so everyone's going to focus on like education and how it should be free or cheaper, you know. Right. So was it was it a, an environment for uh, Bernie Sanders when he was still in the running? Were people at your college kind of okay with Bernie? Was that was that was was the burn? Would you feel the burn? Did you? Uh, Yeah, he came and visited our college like three times to have like guest lectures and speaking and things, and like everyone wanted that because like obviously like colleges, he wanted college to be cheap and free for everybody, you know. Right. Yeah. Well. Well. Why not? I mean, it's awfully expensive. Why not? From the perspective of the college student, from the perspective Um, of the taxpayer, it might be a little bit different. But. him saying college is free, it's not necessarily free. It has to fall on somebody, you know? Right. It's not just going to be like a free ride for everybody. Right. No, somebody has to pay. And, yeah. And so, Mom, you're the uh, taxpayer. How do you feel about free college education? Um, I, I, I don't think that it's realistic because, like you pointed out, it does cost somebody something. Um, I do I think that they should be able to do something about the interest on student loans? That might be something. I, I just don't know that you can have the society and have things for free because the money has to come from somewhere. It does have to come from somewhere, and it usually is the same source of the taxpayer, and there's only one of those, regardless yes, of the level of government. There's only one of those. Uh, what about for you, Stacey? Is it, uh, is it personality? Is it issues? Is it a combination of the two? Um, really, for the most part, you know, this has been um, a marathon train wreck presidential campaign in my eyes i um look at this and think how do and how does anybody look to the platforms when you have all this chaos going on so i just tried to be then teach and say to my daughter you know you you have to kind of push aside the emotion and the rhetoric and all that and really view the platforms and really view what you're what, what you feel strongly about because really that's what the vote should be about in my opinion yeah yeah no it's it's important to Provide some level of, I don't want to use the word guidance necessarily, but provide some information based on the experience we've had as adults. Um, you know, we voted a number of times and we've seen what's, what's happened. Uh, Maddie, the older voters consider this a time in our history when hard-won freedoms are being compromised by intrusive governments and that we're experiencing a decline in our prosperity. I hear that a lot. Do younger voters share that concern? Or do you have a more positive view of the future? Um, it's it's really hard to, like, look at, especially with my generation, everything's like social media, you know, social media-based. It's hard to, like, look at everything um, in a positive way when it's so negative all the time. Like, on social media, it's always just, like, trashing the candidates or, you know, they're not really focusing on what's important. It's just, like, looking at it as, like, a negative way. So it's kind of hard to, like, see it in a positive light. So do, would you say that uh, your generation is going to be significantly influenced by social media uh, on, on how they vote? What they, what they see repeated uh, significantly on social media, is that going to influence them in a major way as to who they're going to vote for? Yeah, I would have to say that has a massive influence because, like, I know some of my friends haven't even, like, watched any of the debates. And they've just seen, like, on Twitter. And they're like, well, I'm going to vote for this person because, like, I saw the highlights on Twitter or something. You know, it's not like, oh, I actually want to vote for what they stand for. It's just I saw it on Twitter. I saw it on Instagram and stuff like that. Yeah. What about some of the issues that have been 
debated and talked about and have been front and center from the very beginning from the primaries like immigration how does that how does that fit in i mean how do you feel about the immigration issue national security we've also got constant reminders on television by uh the nra about uh, uh the second amendment and the right to carry a firearm mm-hmm. how does all of that resonate with you as far as like immigration goes, um, I think there's a right way and there's a wrong way. If you come in here and you want to um, do your paperwork and pay the fees and take the time to do it, I'm all for that. I feel like everyone should have an opportunity to come here and experience, you know, the United States, the American dream, and stuff like that. Um, as far as like the wrong way, like maybe if there's more resources for these people to come in to our, you know, the United States, you know, and um, to have like guidance to become a citizen and stuff, because I feel like everyone should have the opportunity for the American dream. Mm-hmm. So do it the right way, and and you're welcome, but if you don't do it the right way, maybe not so much? Um, I feel like if you don't do it the right way, you should be given the opportunity. Like, someone should be like, hey, like, you want to become a citizen? Like, here's what you have to do. So like, right. I feel like you should be guided to have the opportunity to do it, you know? Okay. Stacy, how do you feel about that? Well, you know... Um, if, I think for the most part, I, I hear what she's saying, because I think there's, it's so often in life we, everybody throws out a lot of problems, but not a lot of solutions. Um, do I think that, you know, you can round up a bunch of illegal people and ship them out? I think that's ridiculous. Logistically, it would be a nightmare, and it's just wrong, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, can we, that money that we would use to do that, can we not provide resource centers for people to become legal? Um, I know lots of people who came from, other places who've come here, and it took them 10, 15 years, but they did it the legal way, and they did it, and they had the opportunity to live their dream. And I think that I don't think anybody should not be allowed to come, but I don't think that people should take advantage of systems because I think that's where the breakdown comes. I think that's where national security issues happen. That's where prejudice happens, divide happens. And I think anytime you divide anything in society, it creates a huge problem. I'm talking with Maddie. She's 19 years of age. She's a college student in the United States. Her mom, uh, Stacy, is with us as well. Maddie's voting for the very first time, and she is voting or considering issues far more than the characters or the candidates. Maddie, when it comes down to it, though, when you look at the two of them, uh, did you did you watch the debates? I did. I had to for my class, actually. <laughs> okay, so it's a it's a required. It's an obligation for 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 school. But so you're watching the debates. What did you expect from Mr. Trump? What did you expect from Secretary Clinton? And did you get uh, what you expected from either of them? And I'll just mash all three debates together. Um, As far as looking at the debates, I would have to say, like, they didn't really focus in on the issues as much as they did, like, flagging at each other's, like, character. Just felt kind of like a petty, like high school argument versus like actually getting down to like that what needs to be debated. How well said! Eh? Just like a, just like a bunch, a couple of kids who yeah. uh, who are just going to take shots at each other and trying to get the rest of the class to be on their side. Right. That really narrows it down. That really brings it down to the to the narrow focus. What about you, uh, Stacy? When the debates, what about them? Well, the, it, like I said earlier, it's it's just been a, in my opinion, it, the whole display of it has been a, a marathon train wreck. I, I I think it. I'm more upset for the fact for the young voters as we didn't have the same <clears throat> social media platforms and stuff to influence us when we voted at her age. And looking at that, I just think that 
if they're going to. I don't think they're. I don't think these debates are actually doing America any good, to be quite honest. Because, like I said, people aren't looking at the issues. I have um, many friends who told me who their children are going to vote for. Just and I said, well, have they read the platforms of each party? And they said, well, no. And I said, well, could you do me a favor and have them do that before they take the ballot? Because this is their future. Yeah, exactly. Who do you think, based on uh, where you live in the United States, we're not going to tell anybody where you are, but where you live in the U.S. and what you're hearing and what you're reading and maybe what you're hearing from friends across the United States, what is your sense about who's going to be calling the White House the uh, late in the night of November the 8th saying, I want the keys? Is it going to be, uh, is it going to be Trump? Is it going to be Clinton? Maddie, let me start with you. Um, personally, I know all of my friends are voting for Trump, <laughs> and uh, where we're from, it's mostly like a like a Republican area, so it just seems like strongly Trump. Okay, and uh, so in eighteen nine, well, not eighteen, but what's the what's the voting age in the U.S.? Is it eighteen or nineteen? It's eighteen, yeah. Eighteen. No. So eighteen, nineteen-year-olds in your area will be voting Donald Trump because it's a strongly Republican area. Yeah. Um, Stacy, you're obviously in the same area. What's your sense of what's going to happen um, nationally? On a, yeah, honestly, I've, yeah, I, I hear a lot of talk, and I usually just listen to see what people say and how they come to their conclusions. Right. And I have yet to hear anybody voting for Clinton. Well, I thank you both so much for joining me today. Thank you. Uh, all the very best to you, Maddie, going forward. And Stacy, thanks very much. Thank no you problem. so much. Take care, guys. Get better, huh? Yes, thanks. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. What about that? Hey, Fran Coombs, managing editor of uh, Rasmussen Polling, Rasmussen.com, RasmussenReports.com. What about that, Fran? Thanks for joining us on a Sunday. Uh, You have Trump up by one percentage point, according to the polling I saw this morning. Then you have uh, other polls with Clinton leading by 12 What's the uh, what's the story there then between the, the the variations in the numbers? Honestly, as you and I have talked about this before, Roy, I mean, a lot of it is are people doing likely voters? How big are their sample sizes? All those kinds of things. I mean, believe me, we've been over our demographics a million times talking about this. You know, we're as curious as the yeah, as the next person. Um, we had actually on Friday we had forty three forty one. We'll be posting new numbers tomorrow at eight thirty, okay. uh, based on uh, it's a rolling. 1,500 likely voters will pick up 500 new ones every night. So basically every survey we post is based on three three nights running. So we'll get another 500 likely voters tonight, and we'll post new numbers at 8.30. So we'll see where the race stands. I mean, obviously the Democrats are saying it's all over. Uh, Jim Carville was on, uh, on the CNN, I believe it was, last night, saying he's very happy now that Trump is dead. Uh, that was his exact quote. Um, so the Democrats are already celebrating the election. Uh, I, obviously, they look at ABC's polling a lot, a lot I would guess, but uh, we think it's the race is a lot closer than that. So I just spoke with a 19-year-old who was voting for the very first time, and her mother was on the air as well. And I asked her whether it's personality or issues that she's going to be focusing on, or which she is focusing on, and for her, it is the issues, it is not the personalities. She did say that many of her, her contemporaries uh, would be looking probably for opinions on social media and be guided at least somewhat 
by that, but for her, it's issues. What percentage of the American population do you think is able, I and mean, this is probably a wild guess question, but what percentage of the population would be able to remove the personalities from the equation because the personalities have really big, they're, they're, they're what's dominating the, the, uh, the, the debate. Right. Well, it's again, it's to the Democrats' advantage to keep the race on the personalities. That's why we see this, uh, you know, these orchestrated stories about uh, Clint, uh, Trump allegedly harassing these women and all these things. Obviously, this is being done very systematically in coordination with the campaign, and they want to keep the discussion on that because that 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 triggers an emotional response. Obviously, they're really trying to get that reaction from uh, younger women voters. Uh, policies. I mean, if you're Hillary Clinton, do you really want to be debating that the economy is growing at 1% growth and you're essentially going to continue those same policies? Probably not. Trump talks about the, the Middle East being a mess. Hillary Clinton was a key architect for all that. Do you really want to be talking about that, or would you rather be talking about Trump's character? Um, and that's what they're keeping the debate on. Uh, the issues, uh, if you're a Democrat, you don't want the, if you're the Democratic candidate, you don't want the race on the issues. Uh, if you're the Republican candidate, you do want the race on the issues, but he's having a very tough time keeping it on the issues because of all this other stuff. Yeah, but, you know, we've been through the, the Cosby situation, and it's not something that I'm, uh, as, as an observer, and if I were a voter, I wouldn't be uh, at all willing to discount these women who are coming forward and saying that they were sexually uh, abused by Donald Trump. That would enter into my into my uh, a review of the of the election, and I'm probably influenced to a certain extent how I would vote, Fran. Yeah, well, I, I, you know, I think again, these things are coming out. Trump is responding and saying, uh, you know, that they're not true, which obviously is what you expect him to say. Right. Uh, some of the stories I know have been debunked, uh, but also that you know the Clintons are very. They're very tough campaigners. Don't kid yourself. I mean, Sidney Blumenthal's got a reputation in this town and has for 20 years of uh, doing exactly this kind of stuff all the time. Uh, I'm certainly not trying to, going to try to pretend for a second that uh, Trump is a, is a saint. Uh, but, I, you know, I just, given the whole tenor of this campaign, I don't know. I think a lot of voters are wrestling with that. I mean, you have to say, with all this stuff coming out, that Trump's, it, Trump is becoming increasingly a long shot. There's no question about it. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, Bill Clinton was reelected for two terms. Well, he it's one of those... It's a reputation in this. I was just telling the studio producer, it's one of those situations where immediately, as soon as I start to feel it's, it's in the bag for Clinton, like after the, uh, the uh, charity dinner in New York where Trump was heckled, the, the, the visceral response was, well, it's over now. And then something happens the next day where you say to yourself, well, maybe it's not over now. But I looked at your uh, the poll information that I received today from Rasmussen, and it was 88% of voters have decided how they're going to vote. 88% have made their decision. Now, when you hear that from those voters on that rolling 1,500 basis, um, how, how um, sure can we be? That these voters have, in fact, that it may, that eighty-eight percent of the population or the voting population has decided—is that a hard number? No, I, you know, I mean, I think you have to be realistic, realistic about all these polls, and that's why the whole the whole poll thing is up in the air this year. I mean, the, the polls were were dead wrong on a lot of the primaries. Um, I mean, this is an election like we haven't seen here. Uh, and you know, I'm not sure that anybody's quite seen an election like this. 
based historically on trends and things things like that, you have to think that Clinton has the advantage. But this is not like any election we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of voters I know are hard and fast for Clinton or are hard and fast for Trump. But there are certainly things that could happen that I think could get anybody to shift their vote. Well, what sorts of things might uh, might happen in the next? It's really a matter of days now. Um, right. That well, would, that would because they're not going to have any more face to face situations. At least nothing that's that's prepared right. or programmed. And that's, and that's where you know. Tr- I mean, so and Trump, of course, is 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 on the defensive, which is always the worst pa- place to be politically. I mean, when he's on the when he's on the in the hustings. He's not talking about these allegations very much, but anytime he runs into any reporters, that's all he's going to be asked about. Um, so, I mean, what was this race all about? Two candidates with very high, uh, high unfavorables and a very large segment of undecided voters. What's going to sway undecided voters? I, I would say right now the, the women allegation has to be uh, out there more than anything else. Um, people, I'm sure... You know, these undecided voters looking at both these folks, I don't know that policy is going to sway them at this point. When you're getting down to this narrow a number of voters, um, emotion, social media, the OMG comment from their friends, did you see what Trump said to that girl, you know, that kind of thing. Um, is that going to sway the election? Historically, I would say yes, but this election's so crazy, who knows? Yeah, I'm going to be speaking with Gloria Allred later on in the program. She'll join us from uh, Los Angeles, and she's introduced right. three three women over the last week who say that, uh, including an adult movie star, and you know, is a porn star. Let's call her. I don't know why to say adult. Anyhow, um, but but she says that she was offered ten thousand dollars by Trump to stay the night, and that he was going to offer her the her his jet to fly to where she was going, and uh, and she refused. And Trump says, well, I'm going to sue her and sue her and sue her and sue her. I'll sue them all, whether I win or lose. Doesn't seem to me to be a really smart approach if, if you're Donald Trump, um, you know, to say, yeah, hey, win know. or lose, I'm going to sue them. Yeah, I, I don't know, Roy. It, uh, face it, these kind of allegations are increasingly common in the modern world, and they, it's, the, it's the old line we used to say, like you're asked, when did you stop beating your wife? There's no... You know, there's no answer for that question. No matter how you answer that question, you look guilty. Uh, these people are out there. Uh, Gloria Allred is, you know, a diehard left-wing Democrat. Uh, well, she was a delegate. She was a delegate for right. Hillary Clinton at the convention. She, and she certainly is, is not a person with a stellar reputation of her own. I mean, she's obviously, you know, a hatchet woman. And so... I'm talking about my guests that way? Oh, sorry about that. I didn't, of course. Well, I mean, yes. I mean, yes, I am talking about your guest that way. Um, I mean, she takes on those kinds of causes to get her name in the headlines. Um, She's a hardline Democrat. As you said, she's a delegate. Uh, I'm not surprised. Uh, A lot of these things appear to be uh, awfully well coordinated for things that are coincidences. Uh, But, you know, that's politics, too. So uh, Trump, uh, they've, they've very successfully gotten Trump on the defensive, which, again, is good for their side because you don't want to be arguing, hey, let's keep going with Barack Obama's foreign policy when the Middle East is a mess and there's increasing terrorist attacks at home. You don't want to be talking about 1% economic growth. Those are not winning issues. I mean, if you look at the issues, Trump's got the winning issues. People want to stop illegal immigration. People want to renegotiate these free trade deals. 
uh, on all those issues, basically voters want lower taxes, voters want smaller government. On all those things, voters tend to agree with Trump. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. I'm going to play back for you about six minutes of my interview with uh, Saskatchewan Premier Brad Wall from yesterday. And uh, I asked the Premier a number of things and um, had to do with the carbon tax. The Prime Minister says he's going to deliver. Prime Minister Trudeau stood up, as you know, in Parliament. While the environment ministers were meeting with the federal environment minister, Trudeau's minister, to talk about these things, the boy king jumped up in Parliament, just like, you know, Mr. Elbows on steroids, jumped up in Parliament and, and announced a national carbon tax was going to be coming. Well, that so upset people at the meeting between the provincial environment ministers and territorial environment ministers and the federal environment minister that several of them got up and left. I want you to listen to Brad Wall. And the question that I asked the premier just before he speaks here is that he said that Saskatchewan will defend itself in the court of public opinion or in the courts of Canada. Have a listen. Well, we've said publicly that we are looking at what legal options we would have should the federal government try to impose this uh, this on Saskatchewan. I think there's a big a big question here, even for provinces that aren't opposed to the prime minister's plan. You know, Ontario and Quebec are they have a cap and trade agreement, a cap and trade market they're developing together with California. But consider this, Roy: the last auction for the California cap and trade market was eight bucks a ton. The, the first year of the mandated Trudeau carbon tax is ten bucks a ton. So what does he do then? Uh, what happens if in year two or three of the Trudeau uh, plan, of the Trudeau carbon tax, the market, the cap-and-trade market that Ontario and Quebec and California are engaged in is only generating a price of $10 a ton? Does he, how, does he, how does he even impose the difference, you know, the extra 10 bucks a ton or whatever ever he deems is to be the, the new national tax slash price on carbon? Well, we're going to be asking, uh, we've asked our Attorney General and our Justice Ministry to determine what, options we have and if we think we have a credible option in the courts we're going to take it i, I had a chance for to talk to the prime minister the day after the surprise announcement and it was disappointing uh, uh prime minister has has, con- has uh, committed himself to a collaborative approach to federalism and i i don't think it gets less collaborative than standing up while the environment ministers are meeting in montreal standing up in the house of commons and unilaterally announcing the plan that ostensibly ministers of the environment are supposed to be working on but i talked to him the next day and i asked him another question i said where surely before you stood up to announce a transformational change to how we tax the economy that's what this is this is a huge change surely there must be a federal full-blown economic impact assessment so that the federal government can look canadians in the eyes and say yes we're doing this in the name of 1.6 percent of global emissions and here's what it might mean to your job the bottom line is they don't have one they haven't done one there's some some reports the working groups, the provincial federal working groups have, and that's the one uh, you quoted off the top of the show that talks about carbon leakage where investment might move to non-carbon taxing jurisdictions like the U.S. But there's not an economic impact assessment. And I said in the speech this week, I said, you know, in our province, if you're going to affect two garter snakes and a frog by moving to culvert, we need an economic impact assessment or an environmental impact assessment. Surely there is an economic impact assessment on this transformational tax change, and there isn't. 
But I'm worried about the due diligence that has or has not gone into this. Uh, we can't, the Prime Minister can't tell farmers, people in the oil industry, miners, people in manufacturing, what it's going to do, forestry, what it might do to their jobs. I think we've got, that's, that's, I think that's the very least a government better be able to do when they ask them to take, uh, uh, to take steps in terms of in, any environmental plan. Particularly during an economics uncertain time like today, which the finance minister agrees is, is fact. There was a poll that's, that asked Canadians if they'd support a national carbon tax directed toward creating a green energy if a new pipeline were simultaneously built to deliver Canada's oil and gas to international markets. Premier, I don't understand why the two have to be linked build the pipelines because we need to get our oil and gas to international markets. It's for the economic benefit of all Canadians and discuss the carbon tax separately. Why do they have to be linked? Roy, I could not agree with you more. This is very frustrating that it's almost become de rigueur in this country to link the two and say, well, you know, I guess it's this notion of social license, which everyone has a different definition for. But the fact that you can sort of link these two, that it's a quid pro quo. Look, Western Canada, if you'll self-immolate with a tax on the industries that actually drive your economies, yeah, then maybe some other region of the country or the federal government might approve your pipeline. Imagine if we did apply the test to cars being shipped out of southern Ontario across the country. If we asked to measure their greenhouse gas footprint of the cars when they're being manufactured and the life of those cars when they're being driven around, and, and then maybe if the greenhouse gas emissions of that process and those cars uh, were low enough, uh, they met some sort of test, maybe we would allow them on the train, on <clears throat> on the railroad uh, through the rest of the country. Imagine if we did the same thing to chemicals that are produced off, well, in Ontario or anywhere else. Or cement from Quebec. Uh, those that are involved in the steel industry in Quebec do a lot of business in Saskatchewan. Imagine if we said, you know, we, we've checked it out and your steel plants, their emissions are a little high, and so if you would just hit this level, if you would just reduce them to this, then maybe you could continue to do business. But if you don't, we're not buying any more of your steel. That's, it's, not a, it's not a country then, Roy. It's just not a country. It's a series of, of regions that have to, where you have to meet some sort of feudal test before your product can move across the country, either from another, perhaps from another subnational, or in this case, from the federal government. And I, I categorically reject that. That's, that's, not, that's not a country to me. That's not yeah. how Canada or any other federation should work. Premier, I have about 30 seconds. So far, Justin Trudeau has delivered two, or will deliver two, said he's delivering $2.6 billion to the taxpayer, of taxpayer dollars to the United Nations climate bureaucrats. What are you telling me should do with that? You know, we're saying uh, he's got a, a $2 billion clean fund, a clean energy fund in this country, and that's a good thing. We're saying put the 2.6 into that and uh, let companies like Sask Power in our province find the next generation technology to fit to, uh, for the clean coal that's working in southeast Saskatchewan. Now, let's get the cost lowered so that those 2,400 plants that are on the books are being built in Asia have a chance to be built with technology like ours that burns coal four times cleaner than natural gas, because right. that is exactly what's happening. We're saying let's find the technology here, make that available to the developing world and, and other you know places like China so we can actually do something about the problem yeah. instead Premier. of taxing it and feeling good about it. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. So Friday afternoon, I was uh, just getting ready to tweet a few things and said uh, not connected. And I kept saying not connected, not connected. 
So I called my service provider and I said, do we have a problem here? And my thought it was the phone. I also think it's your stuff, not theirs. And they said, we don't know. Let's Google it. <laughs> so they Googled it and they came back and they said to me, well, it looks like there's a big problem in North America and it's shut down. So I thought, well, I should have Googled it first. But anyway, that's the, what my service provider came up with. But So it was this distributed denial of service cyber attack. And Twitter and Netflix, PayPal, Reddit, uh, affected to a greater or lesser degree. And the hackers who claimed responsibility for this say they have a much bigger target in mind. And the Friday was just a dry run. Now, it's how they went about this that has people talking, or it's presumed it's how they went about it. And then there's talk about somebody representing this group. An individual named Prophet, like P-R-O-P-H-E-T, communicated with a reporter from New York City via text and indicated that Russia is the next target because Russia is interfering with the U.S. election. So joining me on the program to talk about this is uh, Victor Beitner. He's the founder and CEO of Cybersecurity Canada, and that's CybersecurityCanada.com. Victor, thank you very much for the time. And for our, just for our general information, in 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 layman's terms, what does a what is a DDoS cyber attack? Okay, a DDoS is an attack, a multiple attack from uh, this particular. This attack was over ten million computers that were taken over by hackers. Turned all these, uh, actually not the computers, but the IoT devices, uh, turned them into a botnet. And they can coordinate the attack onto any individual system. So the reports are that millions of home devices like connected cameras, thermostats, children's toys might have been used to create this massive Internet attack last Friday, which shut down these, uh, these, these sites that we talked about. And, uh, and, and, and the word is, and I have no idea other what this means other than it sounds huge, that 1.3 billion bits of Useless information were fired at these massive ser- servers. As it, it's is it Din or Dine? Uh, it's Dine, and it was um, last I heard it was 1.5 trillion oh bits of information. God. So put that into context for us. What does that mean? I mean, what are we talking about? A lot of data. <laughs> a lot of data. It's uh, a, a trillion is a terabyte. Right. And uh, one and a half trillion, uh, imagine um, your hard drive uh, dumping roughly uh, uh, hundreds of gigs of data per second. And today's systems, like your home computer, can do maybe 100 megabytes per second. We're talking hundreds of gigs, uh, uh, hundreds of megabytes per second on uh, directed through um, thousands or actually millions of IPs into one location. All right, so it totally overwhelmed Dyn's servers, and they serve all of North America and, and, and parts, other parts of the world. What, how organized, how big would you have to be in order to put together this kind of, this kind of hacking uh, uh, effort? Is it, would it have to be a national? Would it have to be a nation state to to do this? 
No, it doesn't have to be. Today, uh, we can have either a small coordinated group or a single person that writes a piece of code, uh, pushes it on the, on the net, like with the uh, Mirai uh, code that was published, mm-hmm. and this was the basis of this attack. What it does is it just scans on the Internet for compatible devices, like, you know, the home routers, the cameras, and see if it's vulnerable. Mm -hmm. If it is, it injects the code into the running system, and then it propagates itself. It starts the actual infected device now searches the world for other devices that are compatible with the Mirai hack. And it just spreads organically, and it's all controlled by... Uh, it could be controlled by one person. Wow. How do you stop this? Uh, today, that's a very tricky question. Um, the attack itself is very difficult to uh, to stop because you have to be prepared for it. You have to be able to take all the, this data coming at you and spread it out over a larger network so it doesn't affect um, the target. So you, basically, you got to smear the traffic around so it's spread out evenly. Mm-hmm. But uh, to stop the attack from happening in the first place, what you'd have to do is you'd have to uh, uh, change all your passwords on your devices because it, this attack is based on default passwords. You know, people will buy a camera, whatever, plug it in, and check to see if it connects to the internet, and then they can watch it on their phone and do whatever they want, whether, you know, for either that device or if it's a refrigerator or a thermostat. Right. So if you haven't done that, then you now become a target, and it's an automated target. So the idea is change your passwords. If you can, change the default usernames, but do it when you're not connected to the internet. Okay. One of the things also that I would like, I would suggest might be thought about is that the manufacturers of these devices, whatever they were, uh, would make it more difficult to penetrate and use them. But the other thought that I had was they targeted Twitter, Netflix, PayPal, Reddit. What if they targeted an airline's computers? Uh, the the airlines, the the power companies, they're targeted uh, consistently. Uh, the problem is with the Internet of Things, the devices are inexpensive. Mm-hmm. And the last thing the manufacturers will consider is securing the device. So say they they put out uh, device uh, 101. It's called 101, Model 101. Right. We know that in six months it'll be obsolete because they're going to have 102 right. or the 200 series. So they're going to stop supporting the previous device. I see. And they're going to leave it in the vulnerable state. So today, millions of people have used this device. The hackers will figure out, okay, uh, they blocked us with the passwords. Let's see if there are any backdoors in the devices. And a lot of the home routers have backdoors. They have built-in username and passwords that the manufacturers put in for their own purposes. Okay, so, so, those, yeah. so we can expect more of the same or more and bigger as they're threatening. Victor, I thank you very much for giving us an insight. I have a feeling we're going to be talking again. 
Sure, anytime. All the very best to you. Thanks, Victor. Victor Beitner, the founder and CEO of CybersecurityCanada.com. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. What has Mr. Trump said about my next guest? What did he say? I've got a quote here. Hold on a, a second. Oh, yeah. Discredited political operative Gloria Allred in another coordinated publicity-seeking attack with the Clinton campaign will stop at nothing to smear Mr. Trump, actually said Trump's spokeswoman Jessica Ditto. Well, the discredited political operative joins me on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. How are you, Ms. Allred? I'm just doing great, thank you. How are you, Roy? Thank you so much for inviting me to be on your show. Well, it's good to have you with us. Uh, you, you know what you are now. Uh, well, I'm not, you know, I, I do not allow myself to be defined by those who have a political agenda against me. Um, and having said that, of course, once again, the Trump forces uh, put uh, lies out there that uh, are not supported by any evidence whatsoever. Well, the lies uh, about the women that you've brought forward who say that Trump either sexually uh, harassed them or downright sexually assaulted them. Well, I mean, let's put let, let let's start with what they said. First of all, I'm not a political operative. I am a Hillary Clinton supporter, and I've said that from the get go. I have been for eight years. I was an elected delegate to the Democratic National Convention, and a couple months ago, uh, I was an elected delegate for Hillary to the Democratic National Convention eight years ago. I make no secret of my support for Hillary Clinton. Having said that, I have no contact whatsoever with the campaign in terms of. Uh, speaking with them about any woman that has come forward with me, any of the accusers, they don't know what I'm going to do, and they don't tell me what to do. I don't know what they're going to do, and they don't tell me what they're going to do. This is just something, I, you know, I, over the 40 years that I've been practicing law, I have criticized Democrats, uh, like uh, Anthony Weiner, who stepped down, Congressman Weiner, over the sexting scandal. Uh, I have criticized the Democrat Mayor Filner of San Diego, who we filed a sexual harassment lawsuit against, and in the mediation of that lawsuit, he had to step down. More than 19 women came out against him with uh, saying that he had also had inappropriate sexual conduct with them, uh, and ultimately he had to step down as being mayor. I've criticized Republicans, Herman Cain, who ultimately who had to step down when he was seeking the Republican nomination for president some years ago. So, you know, kind of, I'm, you know, bipartisan in the sense that if there is what I believe to be uh, an allegation of injustice against women, and I, you know, and I am there to support my client, then uh, I don't care whether they're Republican or Democrat. Now, having said that, Mr. Trump has definitely uh, gone over the line as far as I'm concerned many, many times. And, of course, yesterday morning, you know, Roy, that speaking at Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, he stated that he'll sue all of the women who've come forward publicly to accuse him of inappropriate sexual contact with him. And so what I said yesterday at my press conference was if Mr. Trump thought that such bullying tactics would silence his accusers and prevent other women from coming forward, he'll be sorely disappointed because women are not going to be intimidated into silence by Donald Trump. And if he sues them, we're confident that an army of lawyers will step forward to represent them. And we believe that the public will financially support their legal defense. And also, if he files a lawsuit against them for defamation, libel or slander, or both, 
he's going to have to prove that their allegations are not true. And in addition, any accuser who is sued will have a right to file a lawsuit against him. That's a cross-complaint for defamation because he's called them liars and he said their allegations are fiction. So I said, be careful what you wish for, Mr. Trump. If you sue the accusers, the lawyers who represent these women will have the opportunity to depose you. In plain English, you'll be required to testify under oath, and the women's lawyers will welcome the opportunity to question you under oath. You may find that the questions may include all of the women with whom you've had sexual interaction. And in addition, you can expect that many women who have not yet come forward publicly may decide to do so, and they'll be willing to testify about what they may allege was inappropriate sexual contact by you. And the members of the public have already contacted me about contributing to the accuser's legal defense, and we believe that they're going to support the defense of the accusers. So the bottom line, Roy, is that yesterday morning Mr. Trump spoke at Gettysburg, where many brave patriots fought and died. And Mr. Trump has dishonored their sacrifice by threatening wives and mothers and daughters who have made accusations, and these women may not have... Mr. Trump's wealth or his power or his fame, but they have demonstrated enormous courage, and I believe the public will support them. You know, I said that initially when at the beginning of the segment, I said it tongue-in-cheek, because each time anyone uh, gets under Donald Trump's skin, he has an, a label for them, and you became the discredited political operative. Yeah, yeah well, uh, yeah, of course, I, I don't know who, other than Mr. Trump and his spokesperson, um, thinks that. Uh, but anyway, I, I, Mr. Trump is very familiar with me since he had a, you know, we had dust up over the Miss Universe, Miss Canada uh, pageant with Janet Talakova many years ago, in which I was successful against Mr. Trump, getting her back in the pageant, eliminating the rule you have to be a nationally a naturally born woman to be in the Miss Universe, Miss Canada pageant. I remember that but, well. Yes. So, so um, in any event, um, Everybody who knows me knows that name-calling is just not effective with me. And whenever anybody calls me a name, I just say, well, that's great, because that's a sure sign that they have no good argument, because if they had no good argument against what I'm saying, they would give it. If they have to resort to name-calling and labeling, uh, that's a sign that I've won, because they they have no argument to give. He's attacking you. You're bringing forward women who say that he has sexually assaulted them, sexually harassed them, sexually intimidated them, um, but he's attacking you. So Yeah, he is. And, and in fact, he, when I brought a woman forward earlier, uh, the former uh, candidate on The Apprentice, uh, season five, Summer Zervos, then he said so. He attacked me by saying something to the effect of it. it you know, the essence of it was it's not fair that I get as much weight or on television as the president of the United States. So, you know, if that's a, if that's supposed to be an insult, I, I'll take it. I think Is it's there, a compliment. A couple of people have talked to me about Donald Trump and uh, talked to me about my conversations with you on the air, and they inevitably and invariably make the comparison between Trump and Cosby. Mm-hmm. And uh, Well, that's not enough. I mean, in many ways, I mean, there are some similarities. So, for example, uh, the number of women coming out, of course, with... Cosby's like 40, 50. Uh, here with Trump, it's about, I don't know, 11 or 12. And, um, and again, uh, you know, if he wants to follow in Bill Cosby's footsteps, 
then he'll go ahead and sue, you know, maybe he'll sue the women, and then we get to take his deposition, or the women will sue him, or both. And then uh, we'll have to see what he has to say under oath. Um, Of course, he hasn't been uh, charged with any crime. I'm not saying he will be charged with any crime, and I'm not even saying he should be. But uh, there are a lot of people who see similarities in the sense that the allegations against Mr. Trump by the accusers so far is that he assaulted them. What's interesting here, I mean, in Cosby's case, we had his own deposition excerpts of which the court released, and some of which was is going to be important in the criminal case against him involving Andre Constant, that, you know, the, the brave woman who filed also the civil lawsuit against him, and who was the named victim in the criminal case. From Toronto. Yeah, from Toronto. So there we had his, some of his own words in the deposition from her lawsuit released. Here we have Trump's own words from the Access Hollywood uh, tape, which was released, the what we call the Billy Bush on the bus tape, where Mr. Uh, Trump uh, is heard in his own words, which he cannot deny because, and he hasn't denied because these are his own words, where he uh, seems to take great glee and pride. Excuse me, I'm allergic to Mr. Trump. Uh, pride in, in in saying that he he grabs women by the and I won't use the word I'll say genital, but it's the p word that he uses. And, you know, that he kisses them without their consent, and it seems to feel entitled to do that. In other words, assault them, because if it's without, without their permission, it's an assault, uh, just simply because he's a star. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. Gloria Allred is with me. She is a longtime defender of women's rights, civil rights lawyer, prominent lawyer in Los Angeles and internationally. Uh, and uh, we're talking about Donald Trump. She was a delegate for Hillary Clinton of the Democratic Convention, and Trump calls her a discredited political uh, operative. Ms. Allred, one question that I, I have for her, I thought about during the break, when you said that you weren't sure that Donald Trump should be charged for what he's alleged to have done, why not? If this, if it's criminal activity that he's perpetrated, or well, is alleged to have perpetrated, why not charge him? First of all, I, you know, this is not something... Uh, that, uh, you know, I have analyzed in terms of that. Many of the allegations are from many, many years ago. Uh, if ever a criminal act were committed, it might not be prosecutable because it would be beyond the time limit uh, for such prosecution. In other words, uh, it would beyond, be beyond the statute of limitations. So there's no point in even analyzing it that way because... Um, it, you know, it likely would be too late. And then also, you know, we'd have to analyze each one uh, to determine whether, in fact, uh, there would be sufficient proof uh, to, uh, to prevail at a trial where the burden of proof in a criminal case is beyond a reasonable doubt. So forgive me for asking, but then if you're not sure of that, why bring them forward? Well, because a woman makes an allegation doesn't mean that she is required to have it prosecuted as a crime. Right. As um, a matter of fact, in addition, uh, the women I have brought forward have not even been interested in filing a civil lawsuit against him, where there's a lower burden of proof. So it's not about going to court. It's about revealing the personality it's revealing of the man. what they allege happened to them. Mm-hmm. 
and then you know we're now we're not in a court of law we're in a court of public opinion yeah what do you say and, to people what do you, you know, say people can decide they believe these women these 11 12 women or right. they don't believe them they can believe that all 12 are, women are lying and Donald Trump is telling the truth or that Donald Trump is lying and all of the women are telling the truth. People what do you say to people? They what, 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 what do you, using whatever standards they want Ms. to Allred, what do you say to people who say the timing is interesting? Okay, there's an easy answer to that. And for all of the three accusers who have come forward with me, it's the same answer. And the answer is Mr. Trump revealed what he thinks of women, what he values or what he doesn't value about women, how he looks at women. It's a character issue now. Uh, on those access Hollywood tapes, and then what he thought he has entitled to do to women, and then in the debate with Hillary Rodham Clinton, Secretary Clinton, uh, he denied that it was anything but what he called locker talk and that he ever actually did what he said that he had done or, or would like to do. And so the denial also triggered a lot of rage among many women, because some of them alleged that, in fact, he had done what we heard on the tape or other things related to that, other, taken other actions. So they felt now there's a lie and there's hypocrisy, and they felt that they needed to tell what they say is their truth about their life. That's why if Donald Trump is responsible for these accusers coming forward, not the accusers, how do you expect this um, this election campaign to wind up? Is there going to be more? Is there yes? What yeah? You know? I do believe there'll be more women coming forward. I do believe Roy that his threats to sue women, you know, that's not going to stop women from going forward. A lot of women have been threatened many times in their lives, threatened in the workplace, threatened at home, threatened, you know, in their social circles. And, you know, the bullying, time for the bullying to end and the threats to end. Women are just not going to suffer in silence anymore. It's just not going to happen. The, anyone that they consider to be a wrongdoer is going to have to be accountable. You can be made accountable in a court of law or you can be made accountable in a court of opinion, in the court of opinion, sometimes in both. Yeah. This is well, why many of the women are speaking out. They I, ha he has his truth, or and, of course, the press is caught him in so many lies and they have what they say is their truth and they're going to have a voice too i have a feeling you and i will be talking again before november the 8th i hope so thanks for the time today thank you roy have a great day all the best Bye. thank you Ms. Allred. gloria allred in los angeles the roy green show weekends from 2 to 5 on am 900 chml